would, turn your Bibles, if you have one, to John chapter 10. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to read verses 11 through 16 and verses 27 through 28. But as I've been thinking about prayer and, and preparing these sermons, uh, it struck me that, that basically people pray what they know. People have a, 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 an impression of prayer. You could be an atheist and have an impression of prayer. Whatever your impression of prayer is, that's what you pray. I was reading recently about uh, Ted Williams, who is arguably the best baseball player ever to live. You could maybe make a case that Babe Ruth was better, but you'd have a hard time putting anybody between those two for first and second. Uh, Ted Williams had an amazing career in baseball. His stats are, are absolutely mind-bending. And Ted Williams' career was interrupted on two occasions. One, when uh, the Second World War took place, and the second time during the Korean conflict, he was reactivated to duty. He was a fighter pilot in the Marine Corps. He flew the, uh, the F-9F, which is a very early version of a, of a jet fighter aircraft. Now, Ted Williams was raised in a home where his father was abusive and was an alcoholic, and his mother was a uh, leader in the Salvation Army. Uh, and she literally would spend days and weeks and months away from home uh, serving God and the Salvation Army, but ignoring her son. All that put together, Ted Williams basically grew up uh, believing God was either mean-spirited or not believing in God at all. But on one particular flight over the Korean Peninsula, as he was doing battle, he was, his plane was terribly uh, uh, shot up, and he thought he was going to crash land. And later, as he was telling the story, he said, that's the one time in my life that I prayed. And then when he landed and he made it okay and he got out, he said, there must have been a lot of people praying for me because I sure was lucky on that day. That's a perspective on prayer. That's maybe a perspective of prayer that a lot of folks in this room have this morning. What we know will dictate how we pray. Whether or not we know Jesus will dictate our prayer life with him. And that's what we want to try to discover this morning in John chapter 10. So starting in verse 11 through verse 16 and then verses 27 and 28, hear the word of God. Jesus is speaking. These are all quotes. Uh, Jesus is teaching. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand, not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And over in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather together uh, on a day that we call Mother's Day. Father, I thank you for... Um, the, the moms, the grandmothers that are, that are here this morning that are surrounded by family and are uh, filled with joy and, and thankfulness. Father, I also thank you for those that are here uh, that are struggling, uh, that circumstances in their lives are 
uh, less than what they would hope. And Mother's Day is, is more painful than it is joyful. Father, thank you that you know every person in this room. You know every circumstance with which we are dealing. You know those of us who, who have lost parents in the last year. Uh, you know those who want to be parents and have not yet had that blessing. Father, we, you know the disappointment, you know the hurt, and you know the joys. And you meet us right where we are. And so that's our prayer this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would show yourself to us again. That we would grow in our understanding, and our knowledge of you and our love for you. And that that would enrich uh, our prayer lives. Father, what I have to say is really just not very important. It's just one more person speaking. We have enough noise during the week. We don't need noise. Uh, we need your voice to speak into our lives. It's that for which we pray. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the sermon of sentence is basically built on, on this premise that I think is accurate. Because we pray what we know, knowing Jesus is central to a strong habit of prayer. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about developing a habit of prayer, and we looked at that. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, let me encourage you, not because I preached it, but I, I think the topic's important that you go back and, and listen to that sermon because it was kind of bedrock for what we're going to be talking about. But if we know Jesus, uh, the more we know Christ, the more we know his grace, the more we know mercy, uh, the more I believe that will help us develop the strong habit of prayer. So really, the question before the house this morning is, what do we know about Jesus? And I want to give you three observations out of this text. I think there are probably seven or eight or nine that I could draw but you need to get on to brunch or whatever it is uh, where you're headed for the rest of the morning. We have another service at 11 o'clock, uh, so I'm going to hold it to three. But I think these three things we can know about Jesus will be incredibly helpful for our prayer lives. The first thing we can know about Jesus, according to this text, is we can know his goodness. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And then he talks about the activity. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the way Jesus is defining good, and good can be defined in a lot of ways, and Jesus defines it differently in different scenarios, but in this particular setting, Jesus defines goodness as self-sacrificial love. The good shepherd puts himself in the place of danger. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Why does he do that? Because the wolf is trying to snatch. The wolf is trying to come in and destroy. The wolf is hungry, and the shepherd is standing between the wolf and the supper that the wolf hopes to be eating. In other words, what Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning is, if we follow him, it doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy or simple or without problems. There are a lot of wolves, metaphorically speaking, in the world that want to snatch your faith away from you. Sometimes it's of your own doing. I committed at least a, a few sins this week. I probably committed a whole bunch of sins. I can at times be my own worst enemy. I can kind of be the, the wolf in my life when I forget to put my faith in Christ and my trust in him. Following Jesus <clears throat> is not free from danger. We face trials, temptations. Perhaps this last week was a week of doubt for you or fear. Or anxiety. I mentioned my own sin, but also the evil one. Uh, we studied that at the end of Ephesians. The evil one is out to destroy our faith. And so this good shepherd stands in between us and all of these dangers. He agrees to absorb the blows. 
He agrees to be our protector. And Jesus says that's what a good shepherd does. And he promises this at, at the cost of his own life. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. So the, the greatest danger to you and me is the danger of sin and judgment and hell. We deserve the wrath of God. Nobody seeks after God. Nobody loves God the way we should. We are all flawed people, and we all harm ourselves and harm other people with our thoughts, with our words, and our actions. There are no perfect people walking around on the planet. And yet God says it takes perfection to get into heaven. So we're all on the outside looking in. And then Jesus stands up for us. And he goes to the cross, and he pays the price that we should be paying And he takes on the punishment that we deserve, and he gives us his life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This promise of protection at the cost of his own life. And think about this, because isn't self-preservation a basic human instinct? If you see danger, and and you're not ready to face it head on, don't, don't you run the other way? Isn't that the smart thing to do? Isn't it a smart thing to do to move out of the way of danger? I was pulling out of, um, of Cadoba last Sunday night, and I was headed to our, our Sunday night Bible study. And as I pulled on the Kirkwood Road and started going north, my phone rang. Now, I wasn't texting. I wasn't driving and doing what I wasn't supposed to be doing. But my phone rang, so I just glanced down to see who was calling me. And at the time it took me to glance down, I go, oh, that's who it is. I'll answer that later. Look up. There was a family crossing the street in front of me. Uh, mom and a dad, and looked like maybe one middle school student and two high school students, and they were walking over to Mod Pizza. And I wasn't like right on top of them. I didn't, I didn't hit them, but it scared, it scared me to death, and it scared them to death too. And I, and I slowed down very quickly. I didn't like screech the tires, but I slowed down very quickly, put my window down, and, and I was saying, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. And the father was saying something back to me, which I won't <laughs> repeat right now, for a good reason. He, he was scared. Those were, I mean, they're high school kids, but those are, those are his babies, right? And he was gesturing to me, and he was screaming at me, and I'm and I, like, it's my fault. It's my fault. And I go, and I'm the pastor of that church if you want to stop in next week, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did not do that. I, I was going to give him his moment because he was, he was seeking to preserve his family. You're, you're, the human instinct is to protect yourself, and the hired hand gets us, so the hired hand quits. The hired hand sees the wolf coming, and what does the hired hand do? The hired hand runs away. It's not going to worry about the sheep. The hired hand decides they, they're going to get out of harm's way. I remember when our kids were growing up, especially when they were in like sixth grade through about ninth grade, um, which is kind of a challenging time. Uh, not always, but it's kind of a challenging time for children and for, and for parents. And I remember there were times when I would come home, and I would see Cindy as I'm coming to the door, and she had that look in her eye. And, and the look in her eye was the look like somebody's going to die in the next five minutes because I'm going to kill them. And, and the self-preservation at that moment kicks in. And you just pray it's one of the kids and not you. <laughs> and then when you find out it is, you're like, well, I'll hold them while you hit them, those rotten kids. I'm with you all the way. Let's get them. Because you're just glad that you're safe. <laughs> Because my wife is not a violent person. I'm embellishing just a bit to make the point. But Jesus didn't step out of the way. Jesus Jesus didn't dodge the bullet. Jesus didn't follow the instinct of self-preservation. His goodness led him to self-sacrifice. Now, I think if you dwell on that, I think if I dwell on that, 
I think to know his goodness is going to grow my prayer life. I think it's going to cause me to want to turn to him in moments of great joy and say, thank you. I think it's going to make me want to turn to him when I'm confused and say, I don't get this. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't, I don't know why the table set this way. What's going on? I think it's going to cause me to turn to him when I'm heartbroken and say, you're the only person that's experienced the depth of brokenness of the cross, so I know you get it that I'm angry and I'm hurt right now and I'm resentful of what's happening. I know you understand that. I think it's going to grow my prayer life to know the goodness of Jesus. Secondly, I think this passage teaches us that there is a genuine connection with the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, verse 14, and my own know me. Jesus is speaking here about a friendship. He's speaking about intimacy. He's speaking about a relationship. And what he's saying is, you are known. If you are in Christ through faith, if your belief is in the Lord Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior, he says, you belong to me. I think one of the deepest longings of the human heart is to belong somewhere. You ever walk into a crowded room and you don't really know anybody? Maybe you're at a, at a work event or, or a social gathering and one person's invited you to that social gathering and you're scanning the crowd and what are you doing? You're looking for that one person. You're, you're trying to find the place where you belong. Do you understand that you belong to Jesus? Do you understand that, that, that he's got you? That your faith brings you into a relationship with him that is one of intimacy and genuine friendship. Uh, a couple of places in the gospel where Jesus speaks to this. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, Everyone who acknowledges me before men. So that, that simply means putting your faith in Christ and, and putting your faith in him. I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And he says it a little bit differently in Luke chapter 12. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, that's his name for himself, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. So picture yourself stepping into heaven. And there's a big party going on. And you might, you might go, that guy looks like Moses, and that kind of looks like Ruth, and that looks like Mary, the mother of Jesus. But I don't know any of them firsthand yet. And then Jesus says, stop the party. Look who came in. And now, you know, if you kind of want to cringe and run and hide, but he grabs you and he pulls you up and says, let me introduce you to Dad. And let me introduce you to the angels. This is one who belongs. I know a lot of you struggle to believe that's true about you because you're looking at your circumstances and you're not looking at the connection of Jesus. We've got to get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on him and understand what he's promising here. I know you. You belong to me. I, uh, as you know, sometimes uh, out of a hobby, not really because I need the money, I drive Uber. And uh, I have some funny stories about Uber because you meet all kinds of people uh, I got a report last month about, about every trip I've ever taken. I've driven people from seven different countries, and I'm going back in my mind trying to figure out the countries. But uh, last fall, I picked up three high school girls in Kirkwood. They were seniors, and they were going to a, uh, some country and western concert out in St. Charles. What's the outdoor theater? What's that called now? What is Hollywood Amphitheater? Right. Yeah, it's changed names so many times. So I pick up these three girls, and I thought I could multitask. 
I mean, I thought I was pretty good at, at keeping a lot of balls spinning. They get in the car. They're all talking to each other at the same time. They're all texting to their friends while they're talking to each other at the same time. They turn on the music to, to the station that's playing the country western concert they're about to go listen to. They're talking to each other. They're texting to friends. They're singing all at the same time. And then they start FaceTiming with people, start taking selfies. Do, and they're doing it all at the same time. And everybody hears everything. And I'm like five minutes into this ride. I'm like, Jesus, please come back. <laughs> Save me. Help me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that was the longest 30 minutes of my life. <laughs> Except for this. About five minutes in the ride, I figured out they were Kirkwood High School students, and I figured out they were seniors. And Cindy was the class sponsor for the, she had them all the way through, freshman to, to, to 12th grade. So there was like a millisecond where everybody stopped. And I said, hey, and I look, I said, any of y'all know Mrs. Ricks? Mrs. Ricks? Are you kidding, Miss? Oh, we love Mrs. Ricks. On and on and on. She's, and then they stopped. They're like, how do you know Mrs. Ricks? <laughs> and I wanted to say I've been stalking her. <laughs> but I didn't. I said something more mature. I said, I've been sleeping with her for 38 years. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> I said, you see this ring? I'm married to Mrs. Ricks, right? Now I'm on the inside. Now I'm like, I'm family. They, they oh my gosh, how cool is it for you to be married to Mrs. Ricks? I said, I can't tell you how cool it is. It, it's so absolutely remarkable. Uh, and, but now I belong, right? Think about that when you see Jesus. He says, you belong. You're in. Not reluctantly, not with anger in his heart because you haven't gotten everything right, but with great joy. I know my own, and they know me. This connection that we have. And this belonging leads us, in verse 16, this belonging leads us then to listening, right? I have other sheep that I'm going to bring in. They're speaking about us in that passage. I, I got to bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So friends, here's where we, we start to get down into the, the, the growth of our opportunity for prayer is are we listening? You know, it really makes sense to pay attention to the people that love us, when they offer us advice, when they offer us suggestions. My children are all adults now. Our youngest just turned 28 uh, last week, and, and they've started asking me questions again. I've, I, and they realize two things. They realize I love them deeply, and they realize that I have some gray hair on my head, and I know a little bit. You know, I was really, you know, kind of dumb when they were in middle school, but I've gotten smarter over the years. And so now they actually call me on the phone. Nate, our oldest, has four kids. I think the oldest is 11 and the youngest is maybe almost three somewhere in there. I, don't, I should keep better track. But, um, but he calls and Dad, what do you think about this? Hey, here's what's going on with Lael, and, and, and what do you think I ought to do about that? Hey, here's, here's what happened with Avery. You got any ideas about that? And mostly I say, yeah, call your mom. That's the idea that I have. <laughs> but he knows I love him. And he knows that, that, that I'm going to say something out of love. Therefore, it's worth listening to. Not because it's the smartest thing in the world, but because of the relationship. Now, when you speak to Jesus and you listen to Jesus, you are going to get the smartest stuff you'll ever hear. There's nothing more profound than hearing the voice of God. So are we listening as we approach our prayer life? Are, are we listening to the voice of Jesus? You say, Tom, just be real quiet and you'll hear somebody speak in your ear. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. Although there are people that pray, that believe that they hear the voice of God. And I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. But I will tell you where you will always hear the voice of God, where it will never be confusing, and that's in your Bible. And I believe we should always pray by listening to the voice of Scripture. 
that my prayer life should be, I, I should pray after I read my Bible. Because when I read my Bible, Jesus is speaking directly to me. These words are for me. As I listen to them, then I'm thinking, you know what, I need to pray for so-and-so. Lord, thanks for putting that on my heart. Thanks for reminding me that I need, that I need to be praying for so-and-so. Oh, my goodness, I forgot. Now that I've read this, I'm thinking about, you know, something that's going on in my family. Thanks for reminding me I need to be praying for that. I'm listening to the voice of God as I'm entering into prayer. Let me give you one simple example. Psalm 63 has, and Psalm 63 is 18 verses long. I'm just pulling out three snippets out of this. But Psalm 63 starts out and says this. And let me, let me suggest that in this situation, you're praying for someone who's distressed, someone who's, who's having a hard time. Maybe they're di- discouraged or depressed. You start at Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. That's a great place to start when you're distressed. Just to be reminded that there's a God and that, that, that you belong to him. It's a good place to get your feet on the right foundation. Earnestly, I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh fades for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, I was created to be in relationship with God. That's a good thing to remind yourself when God feels distant, when God feels like he's out there doing something else and he's not paying attention to you, which isn't true, but we begin to believe that. So it's good to listen to the voice of God saying, I'm your God, and I've created you to long for me because that's a good place for our relationship to be when we have that intimacy. I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. What a great reminder as I go into prayer of what's happened in the past. I've been in the presence of God. I've worshiped with God's people. I, I remember the, the glory as we've sung of God's beauty and God's majesty. I, I, I remember that his love for me is, is better than anything else that could happen to me. So even in discouragement, I want to praise him. Even when I'm confused and, I, and I'm distressed, I want to offer worship to God. I meditate on you in the watches of the night. You have been my help. Your right hand upholds me. I'm at the point in life, and I've been at that point for a while now, where every once in a while, about 2.30 in the morning, the eyes pop open. And you know there's no going back to sleep. I know a lot of you moms have that experience because you hear a little voice of a little body in the other room. I'm, we're way past that stage in life. But every once in a while, life gets the better of me. And I just wake up, I'm like, I'm not going back to sleep because I'm too worried about X, Y, or Z. I'm too distressed about X, Y, or Z. I'm too frustrated, too concerned, or I don't know what to do with X, Y, or Z. What do I do at that moment? Go get a good book and read? No, I remember that the Lord wakes me up because he wants to talk. I go get my Bible, sit down, say, okay, Lord. Now you got my attention. What, I remember that it's your strength that upholds me. And I'm feeling like I need to be upheld, so I'm in a good spot to listen to the voice of God as I pray. We have a connection, brothers and sisters, that, that, that will draw us into a wonderful life of prayer if we allow God to speak into our lives. So we know the goodness of Jesus. We know the connection of Jesus. And the third and final observation is the provision of Jesus. And now we jump over to verses 27 and 28. And in verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Where does listening lead in the life of a disciple? Listening leads to following. Listening leads to obedience. Listening leads to Jesus, let's do it your way, not my way. Now, it doesn't always work out that way perfectly. We're going to fall short. We're going to mess it up. But listening assumes that when we hear the voice of God, we want to follow. I'm going to submit myself to the Lordship of Christ. I'm going to acknowledge that I am not in charge. 
I'm going to acknowledge that he knows far better for me than I could possibly know for myself. And prayer is going to move me to that place of trusting him. But then as I hear the voice of God, you know, I can't read Psalm 63, what I just put up on the screen a minute ago. I can't read Psalm 63 and not reach out to that friend who's distressed. I can't just let that go. The next day I got to track that person down and just tell him I love him. And just tell him I'm praying for him. Because that's how God is speaking to me. He's, this provision leads me to listen, but it leads me to be compelled by grace to follow what Jesus said. And then look what happens as we follow. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Think about that for just a minute. Eternal life never ends. And it's not life with bumps and bruises and problems and challenges and, and kids that don't like parents and parents that don't like kids and extended family that's crazy and a boss that doesn't understand me and a, and a husband or a wife that, that wants to divorce me and, you know, the, the economy is going to, you know, wherever in a handbasket and, and all the strife and it's none of that. It's all gone. So glorious relationship for all of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ and brothers and sisters in heaven. As we follow, Christ provides life as it should be. But also notice how secure that life is. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We, Christ provides us life as we follow, but he also, as we follow him, he provides safety. And it's not a temporal safety. It's not a momentary safety. It's not a safety where, you know, you've got your child one minute in the department store and you turn around and you grab something and you look and they're gone. <laughs> you know, and now things feel real unsafe real fast. God does not lose his children. Jesus is not going to lose anybody that belongs to him. He's not going to lose you now, and he's not going to lose you forever. There's no power in the universe that, that can take you outside of the safety of Christ. It doesn't mean that your life is simple and easy and has no problems. But in the context of the brokenness of this world, it means that we can rest in him. And know that, that as we listen, as we follow, as we trust, as we submit our life to him, that these are the promises that he gives us. And notice that he gives them to us before we've prayed one prayer. Jesus said these things 2,000 years ago, and he knew you were going to be here today. And he knew that you needed to hear this sermon. And he knew that you needed to know that you could trust him because he was going to give it to you because he's been thinking about it for all of eternity past. Before we ever have a prayer on our lips Jesus' love is there. His compassion is there. His kindness is there. Uh, I remember when my son-in-law, Richard, called me to ask permission to marry my daughter, Katie. Uh, now, the truth is they were going to get married no matter what I said. But young men who aren't married, that's the right way to do it. Always call the dad or the mom or both and ask for permission. So I remember when Richard called and he said, you know, hey, Tom, I I really love Katie, and, and, you know, you know that we've been together. I'm like, well, yeah, I know that. She's living out in Hawaii now. You know, I, would, I, I understand that. He goes, I, I really want to marry you. And I said, well, tell me what you got. <laughs> I, I didn't really mean it, but I just couldn't be serious at the moment because I'd start crying. So I said, well, what do you got to offer? And Richard, who knew me less back then, took me seriously, and he started telling me all the stuff he had. Not material stuff, not like cars and houses and jewelry. He started talking about the character with which... He was going to love my daughter. Well, now I'm crying for sure. Now it's just, you know, I'm trying to be you know, tough and strong. And I'm just like, this guy is just perfect for my daughter. Before I, I even really asked a serious question, he had the answer. He knew what Katie needed. 
and he wanted to be the person that, that provided that part of the relationship in her life. Now, what Richard knew about Katie doesn't begin to compare with what God knows about you and what God knows about He knows what we need. He understands it better than we understand it ourselves. And if we will trust his provision, I believe our prayer life will grow richer and deeper and stronger. Prayer is seeking to know and to follow the good shepherd. So let's remember this morning that that means goodness. That means connection. That means provision uh, for all who put their faith in Christ. So what we're going to do, we've got about five minutes left uh, before the teaching time is up. What we're going to do is we're going to practice. Uh, and we're going to do uh, a bit of a corporate prayer time. And here's how it's going to work. Uh, in just a second, you're going to see something about which you can pray on the screen. And we're gonna, you're going to personalize that. You're gonna, so it's going to tell you to think about somebody. So you're going to think about that person, and you're going to pray for them. You pray whatever you want to pray for that person. And when we get all done, I'm going to end that, and we're going to do this three times. That when we get to the end of that silent prayer time, I'm going to say, Lord, have mercy, and your response out loud is going to be, hear our prayer. That makes sense? So the first opportunity for directed prayer is this. Think of someone who has suffered the loss of a loved one and ask our Heavenly Father to give them His comfort and peace. So you think of that person for whom you want to pray. We're going to have some silent prayer, and then we'll, we'll do the, the give, given response, and then we'll move on to the next. Let's pray. Lord, in your mercy, I want to invite you to give thanks for a mom or a, or a grandmother, uh, someone who's loved you well in your life, and then pray specifically for uh, a mom you know, could be in your family or a friend, uh, and ask that they would experience God's abundant love and wisdom and provision. Lord, in your mercy. And then thirdly, let's ask God to make us as a, as, a, as a spiritual family, folks of Green Tree Community Church, we'd be a people that would be passionate about his justice and his mercy and his peace, uh, that we would do that in our relationships, that we would honor one another, uh, but would also serve our region uh, by sharing the gospel. So let's, let's pray for our spiritual family. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray what we know. And if we uh, only have a passing acquaintance with you, our, our prayer lives will be stunted. They will probably be frustrating to us and feel like a waste of time. Um, perhaps feel like we're just kind of talking to the wall or to thin air. But Father, I pray that you would help us to know Jesus 
more closely, that we would experience His goodness, uh, that we would understand that through His grace we belong to the larger family of God, and that He has provided all that we need for this life and for eternity. So, Father, in, in moments of joy and in moments of darkness, we pray that you would uh, grow our understanding of our Lord Jesus, uh, that our trust in him would grow deeper moment by moment, day by day, uh, and that you would develop within us hearts and minds uh, that are joyful uh, and passionate and at times brokenhearted and sorrowful, but that, that we would have hearts of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.